0: Today, we're continuing the series on the armor of God, and we're focusing specifically on the shoes today. The need to protect the feet was recognized early on in ancient civilizations. Reference to shoes have been made throughout history. Even in the Bible, Boaz sealed a bargain with a shoe. Other fun facts about shoes include In Europe, in the 16th and 17th centuries, the heels of shoes were all painted red. I don't have a clue. Cowboys were among the first to wear heels on their boots, as to keep their boots secure in the stirrups. Philadelphia was the first to invent the right and left shoes. Until then, a pair of shoes were identical. And the boots that Neil Armstrong walked on in the moon, walked in on the moon is still floating around somewhere in space. On a personal level, footwear has had a significant place in our wardrobes, with sports shoes, dress and casual shoes, boots and sandals. There's even a pair of shoes that you can wear the next time you watch "The Lord of the Rings that will help you get into the Hobbit spirit. I have a very special pair of boots that are called the mukluks. When Jeff was stationed in Alaska, I bought them when I was pregnant with our son, Jeffrey. I still have them and would have worn them if this sermon had fallen in a winter series. It's one of my favorites, and I do get an opportunity every now and then to wear them in Ohio. Not only do we own shoes, but we have stories about shoes and fairy tales like Cinderella, The Wizard of Oz, and The Shoemaker, and The Elves. We even sing about them. Remember Elvis's blued suede shoes? And Nancy Sinatra's, these boots were made for walking? Overall, shoes have an important place in our life and in our culture, haven't they? And they were also important in the first century, especially for the Roman soldier. Here's a picture of what the 1st century Roman soldier wore. Made of leather with straps they tied around his legs and the soles in the soles were nails that looked like cleats. They were taught, they were called hobnails that provided traction. The 1st century Jewish historian Josephus said that because of the Roman footwear the soldier would often arrive before the enemy expected them because they were able to walk longer distances. So they would arrive earlier than expected, and that would give them an edge in the battle. So shoes were an important part of the armor of God, and also the armor of the Roman soldier. It protects us from the attacks of the enemy. The Apostle Paul states in Ephesians 6, verses 10 through 14, a passage that we are all very familiar with from this from this sermon series. He states in verse 10, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his power. This means that our battles should not rely upon our own strength. Instead, we should rely upon God's strength, as demonstrated through the armor. The Apostle Paul knew personally about the difficulties in battle. He states in 2 Corinthians 11, 24 to 27, five times I have received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. Now, what did that mean? Normally, if a prisoner or a criminal was sentenced to 40 lashes, the soldier administrating that punishment wanted to make sure he did not go over 40 lashes, because if he did, he would also get 40 lashes. So he would only give 39 lashes to make sure he didn't go over. So five times, Paul was scourged with 40 lashes minus one. Three times, he says, I was beaten with rods. Once I received a stoning. Three times, I was shipwrecked for a day and a night. I was adrift at sea. On frequent journeys, In danger from rivers, dangers from bandits, dangers from my own people, dangers from the Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers and sisters, in toil and hardship, through many a sleepless night, hungry and thirsty, often without food, cold and naked. So Paul wasn't just talking about a good story here in Ephesians about spiritual warfare. He knew personally, firsthand, the importance of relying upon God's strength and God's power through the Holy Spirit to stand firm. He continues on in verse 11, Put on the whole armor of God so that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. We must remember that it is God's armor that he made for us, and there are no holes in it. And each piece of the armor is important. So we can't just pick and choose in the armor what pieces we're going to wear. We can't say, I like the shoes, but the helmet has to go. Indeed, we need the whole armor, because the whole armor enables us to stand against the wiles of the devil. What are the wiles of the devil? They are his lying enticements and tricks that are designed to lead us astray, and we need God's full armor to enable us to resist. Remember that Satan's primary weapon against us is deception. Paul goes on to explain, For our struggle is not against enemies of blood and flesh, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Although unseen to us, Satan has a hierarchical empire that controls and coordinates his kingdom. Our growth group read a fascinating book called This Present Darkness by Frank Peretti. It was a fictional story. In this book the reader was able to read about not only what the humans were doing in the story but also what Satan's evil angels were doing to the humans and the conflict between God's angels and Satan's. The story made us pause and think about what might be going around what might be going on around us in the spiritual realm. In resisting Satan and his army of angels, we need to understand that our battles are with them and not with other humans. But rather our battle are with the angels that the, that the demons that are using those humans. In fact, those people actually need our help. So it is essential for us to understand who the enemy really is. Jeff and I had the privilege to meet Jacob Jake DeShazer and have dinner with him. He was a part of the Doolittle Raiders in World War II, and he is a real Christian and American hero. Right after bombing the bombing of Pearl Harbor, the U.S. wanted to send a message to Japan that Japan wasn't safe from being attacked, too. So a series of, well, no, not a series, but a secret mission was created under the command of General Jimmy Doolittle to bomb Japan. Jake was a part of that mission, and it was successful. But afterwards, his plane went down, and he, along with a few other crew members, were captured. Now, Jake had grown up in a Christian home. In fact, his denomination was very similar to ours, the Church of the Nazarene. He was part of the Free Methodist Church. And although he grew up in the church and with devout Christian parents, he never accepted Christ as his savior. So he was not a Christian when he was captured. After capture, he and the other crew members were sent to Tokyo and then was held in a series of POW camps in Japan and China. For 40 months... 34 of those months in solitary confinement. He was um, beaten severely. He was malnourished. Three of his crew were executed by a firing squad, and another died of slow starvation. While in those camps, Jake received Christ, and God began a work of love in his heart for the Japanese people. Before his release, he already knew that God wanted him to go back to Japan as a missionary. Then on August the 20th, 1945, he was finally released when American soldiers parachuted into the camp. On his return to the United States, Staff Sergeant DeShazer was awarded both the, the Distinguished Fly, Flying Cross and the Purple Heart for his part in the Doolittle Raid. And then he went, back to China. he went back to Japan as a missionary. As a missionary, he started at least three churches and joined hands with the Japanese commander, Mitsuo Fushida, who had received Christ after the war. Mitsuo was in charge of the bombing of Pearl Harbor. Together, they went on crusades hand-in-hand, brothers in Christ, and they led thousands of Japanese people to Christ. Long before his release as a POW, he had forgiven the Japanese people and grew to love them. He understood that they were not his enemy, and he spent the rest of his life preaching the gospel of peace and shepherding them in their growth in Christ. Jake knew who the real enemy was, and we need to know that too. Verse 13, therefore take up the whole armor of God, that you might be able to withstand on that evil day, and having done everything, stand firm. What is the evil day? The evil day is any day when you are under attack. Now, when we're attacked, we can't be scrambling around for our armor, can we? I heard of a man who told his minister that every morning in prayer, he puts on the armor of God. The pastor said, that's great. However, personally, I never take it off. Both are good wisdom. Don't ever take it off, but if you do, put it back on in prayer. So on these evil days, when we are under attack, we are told to withstand and stand firm against the enemy. In fact, throughout the Ephesians passage, we are told four times to stand. So standing is very important, and we are unable to stand without all the pieces of the armor in place. Those directives... To withstand and stand firm reminds me of the phrase to dig your heels in. After all, our shoes have the cleats or hobnails to give us the traction to stand firm. And the Holy Spirit empowers us to do just that. In fact, the scriptures state that when we do do that, God will not let your feet be moved. Psalm 121-4. And James 4-7 further tells us, submit yourselves therefore to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. This morning, I'm going to teach you a new word, gription. <laughs> you won't find it in the dictionary, because I made it up. Gription is an attitude. It's an attitude we use when we dig our heels in and use detraction, those hobnails that God put on the spiritual soles of our feet. Gription is resisting Satan. Gription is telling Satan when he's pushing against us, I've got the full armor of God and I'm not budging. When we dig in our heels and stand firm in God's power, he will not allow our feet to be moved. He promised us that. The enemy won't be able to just run over us. In fact, he will flee. That means run. He's going to run from us. Let's review the first two pieces of armor quickly before we go on to the feet. Verse 14, stand therefore and fasten the belt of truth around your waist. I have found that whatever bad things are going on in my life, I can just count on it that the enemy will want to make it worse because he's an opportunist. He will use any situation that he can. It is his objective to to take the things going on in our lives and use them to try to turn us away from Christ and the victorious Christian life. So he will bombard us with everything that he can. He will use negative thoughts, and some of those thoughts or actions may come from other people. Do you remember when Jesus was going to go into Jerusalem because this is he was approaching his Passion Week that was going to end with his crucifixion? And Peter feeling that he was concerned for the Lord, told Jesus, oh no, Jesus, don't go. Jesus turned right around and looked him square in the eye and said, Satan, get behind me. Peter didn't know it. He was speaking out of concern, but the thought had come from the enemy to try to get Christ not to go back, not to go into Jerusalem where he was going to be crucified. So Satan will give us thoughts and others thoughts to try to defeat us. And he gives us thoughts that will tear us apart in regard to any inadequacies we may think we have. He wants to bring us to the point of despair, to give up. These are his lies. So we really need the belt of truth, don't we, in order to recognize what the source is and the battle that we're in. We need to withstand, stand against those thoughts, push against those thoughts and tell the enemy out loud, in Jesus's name, shut up, leave, I don't want to hear it. Now, you might want to do that in a place where you're by yourself. Remember that the Bible said as long as we are submitted to God, we can resist the devil and he will run from us. When we do that, the general situation that we're in may in and of itself not get any better, but we won't have Satan there bombarding us, making it worse, and we can have peace even in the middle of a stormy situation. With those negative thoughts done, gone, we need to fill that void now with the positive. Philippians four eight states, fix your thoughts on what is true, honorable, and right. Think about things that are pure, lovely, and admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. Then we are told to put on the breastplate of righteousness. As Pastor Pete said last week, Satan is aiming at our hearts. He wants to dull our love and passion for God. One way to guard our hearts is by doing the things that are right to do. The Apostle Paul says in 2 Thessalonians 3.13, brothers and sisters, do not be weary in doing what is right. You know when we We stay on track better when we do the things that are right, don't we? Verse 15. As shoes for your feet, put on whatever will make you ready to proclaim the gospel of peace. You know advertising companies use both male and female foot models to sell their products. The models are chosen, of course, on the basis of the attractiveness of their feet. Now, most of us would probably never consider a career in foot modeling. But we might want to reconsider that. Isaiah 52.7 says, How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of the messenger who announces peace, who brings good news, who announces salvation, who says to Zion, your God reigns. Did you know that you can have gorgeous feet? And some of you probably already do. In fact, you may you, you might be able to be a spiritual foot model. But this morning, let's just keep our shoes on. You know, a POW camp is not the usual place for a foot model to go to prepare for their career. But God used it to prepare Jake Shazer's feet with the gospel of peace for his mission. Another wonderful example of this is found in the recent movie, Hacksaw Ridge. It is based upon the true story of Desmond Doss, an American pacifist combat medic who was the only World War II soldier to refuse to bear arms or weapons of any kind. His unit was assigned to the 77th Infantry Division and was deployed to the Pacific Theater during the Battle of Okinawa. His division was tasked with ascending and securing Hacksaw Ridge. After sustaining heavy losses for days, the Japanese launched a massive counterattack and drove the Americans out, retreating off of the ridge to regroup, Doss remained behind. When he heard the wounded calling for help, he went back to the battlefield, carrying wounded soldiers to the cliff's edge and repelling them down by rope, each time praying to save one more. Throughout the night, while the enemy combed the battlefield to kill the wounded, he miraculously saved 75 men. Desmond became the first conscientious objector to be awarded the Medal of Honor. What the movie doesn't show comes from Dawes' letters that he wrote during his time in service, uh, sending those letters home. He wrote about wanting God to use him to share Christ with his fellow soldiers He was not just there on the battlefield to save, physically save lives, but he was also there on the spiritual battlefield to share the gospel of peace. Lord, thank you for the armor that you have given us. Thank you for the belt of truth that enables us to discern the enemy's lies. Thank you for the breastplate of righteousness that guards our heart. Thank you for the shoes that prepare our feet to go out and spread the gospel of peace. Through the coming weeks, Lord, we look forward to learning more about the shield of faith, the sword of the Spirit, and the helmet of salvation. And thereby, Lord, we ask to incorporate these things into our lives that will enable us to stand, resist the enemy, and to bring the good news of the kingdom and bring in one more, amen.